Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. From a network of highly secure top secret locations across North America, this is the Spurs Insider Podcast. I am your host, Mike Finger, joined as always by sports editor Nick Talbot and beat writers Tom Orsborne and Jeff McDonald. And we will start with Jeff McDonald, who got up early next to the beach this morning, living the, the rough life there by the Pacific. The which has no memory. Jeff McDonald, do you have any memory of what happened to the local cagers at Crypto.com Arena on Monday night against the L.A. Clippers? Uh, first of all, I am, I am not at the beach. I just want to uh, I guess we're not supposed to give away our, our secure locations, but I'm not at the beach uh-huh. yet. Uh, I'm across the street from a yard house. I, I, I'll, I'll I see. Um, what was your question? It wasn't about where I am. Well, um, the the Spurs who are winning and losing at about an equal clip over the past several weeks uh, did the winning thing in our in the most recent game played before this podcast. Just wondering if you have any uh, memory or any general impressions of of how they did that. Uh, man, they played well. Man, they played well. They played. It, it's not just doing the winning or losing thing. Uh, every other every other game, it's uh, playing really well. Every other game, followed by just pooping the bed. You know what I mean? Like the, the last two losses, they. I guess you wanted me to talk about the last game against the Clippers, but before I get to that, like the last two losses they had against uh, Charlotte and Sacramento were against teams just decimated by by uh, COVID guys. Like just just skeleton crews and, and they got popped by both those teams, but they go into Utah to start this trip and uh, rally to beat the, the jazz who are a very good team. And then came over here and you know, the Clippers aren't playing well, um, but, but they're, they're a good team. And they just uh, annihilated the Clippers last night. Just, just, it wasn't, you were kind of waiting for it to become a game. Like Spurs took a double digit lead, a 15 point lead at halftime. And you're kind of waiting for the Clippers to narrow that gap before it to become a game because that's what happens in the NBA a lot, but, uh, especially to the Spurs. And it just never happened. The Spurs pushed that from 15 to 30 and uh, cleared the bench. And there you go. And if you want to talk about, uh, you know, who made the impression, it's got to be DeJounte Murray, who is racking up triple doubles. Like uh, I'm racking up Marriott points on this trip. He's got three in the next uh, three, three triple doubles in the last five games. Um, already uh, the only player in Spurs history to have six triple doubles in a season. He's got 10 for his career, which is second all-time in Spurs history. Number one is uh, David Robinson. And the way this is going, that might be – that might go down. That record might go down by next week. So DeJounte Murray is, is really just play, playing out of his mind right now. There's been a few times this season where we've talked about the win of the year. I think the first one might have been against the Celtics almost a month ago. And there have been several wins of the year, it seems like, since then. That started – the run where I believe um, they've won, they've gone eight and five um, during that stretch. Uh, That was started by a four game winning streak. So they've kind of settled into a 500 team, but 
but since then there have been victories at the at I believe Golden State. Um, it was an impressive one against, like you mentioned, Utah. Another one last night. They're doing it in different ways. They're sometimes kind of pulling away from teams. But if you want to go back to the the win that started this road trip, the one against Utah, that seemed to be uh, one of the more impressive of the year, and uh, if not the most impressive. And you kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, that that kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? In terms of beating a team that. It's not like Utah laid an egg. Uh, that was a good team playing well, and Spurs just kind of bested them. Yeah. Well, what uh, what was the what was the hole in the first half? They were down seventeen or something. The Spurs, and you just and then you know their mo this season in those kind of games is to be plucky and fight hard and uh, make a game of it. And then they did that, and then they took a lead. And we've seen that before too, where they've taken a lead and then given it up again. That would be, you know, if they played that game in October, that's probably how that game would have ended up. So I think it was a big sign of progress that when they rallied from that deficit, took that lead in the third quarter, and then they, in the second half, and then in the fourth quarter had to make plays down the stretch. And, um, you know, it was a bunch of different guys chipping in to, to get them over the hump. They don't have that, as Pop has mentioned a million times, they don't have that guy you just uh, give them the ball and tell them to go score. But they had about five of those guys down the stretch in Utah, and I think that was a big um, takeaway from that game. I don't, as we've talked about before, I don't know if that's really – a formula for winning a lot of tight games is just to have a, a closer by committee. Um, you know, this isn't major league baseball, but um, uh, it worked out for them in, in Utah where they just had, you know, it was Derek White making a bucket to Murray making a bucket, Keldon Johnson, Jakob had a put back. Um, Lonnie, Lonnie Walker, Walker with the Lonnie, huge one. Lonnie Walker had the big one over uh, the, uh, the, the stifle tower, I think is, is a nickname. So, yeah, that was a real that that was just impressive the way that came down for sure. Like you said, that's probably not you, you do need a guy, a go-to guy in the NBA like this. They didn't just disprove or refute in the you know fifty years of NBA history in one night. But it, in that game, I believe of the last thirteen points the Spurs scored in a game that was back and forth. You know, they'd score, Utah would score, they'd score, Utah would score. It was it was five guys scored the last thirteen points. All five guys on the on the on the floor made a huge bucket. And that bucket that Lonnie Walker made, um, maybe the moment of his career so far, um, the, the other would have been the, that big overtime game, the night that James Harden missed the shot that, or made the shot that didn't count where they went to overtime against the Rockets. That seems like a lifetime ago, but Lonnie Walker needed a moment like that. That could be big for him. That was a great stretch. He's been on with, with five straight games and double figures. You know, he had 21, uh, let's see, 21, 16, 11, 19, and 19. Uh, and then last night, of run. course, six points. But, yeah, it's good to see him have that consistency that he's been lacking. And, if, you know, t- if you're talking about that moment uh, against Utah in particular, it's kind of interesting, the fine line between uh, what a great moment for him and, uh, you know, why are, why are, with the game on the line, why are you taking the ball into the teeth of the best shot blocker in the NBA you know what I mean? Like if the ball doesn't go in, you're like, that's, that was a, that wasn't what you wanted in that situation. Um, yeah. So you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting to me sometimes in these games, that line between, um, you know, hero and goat, so to speak. And, and it's not like, you know, you, you guys can kind of correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it doesn't seem like the Spurs during this stretch, as I mentioned, it's lasted about a month where they've been playing above 500 basketball. Um, 
after starting four and 13 to the season. It's not like they changed who they were. It's not like they made a big lineup change or, you know, just, just vastly altered the the strategy or the approach. It seems like they took their lumps early learning how to play with the lineup that they have, the group that they have. And that, that group has just gotten better and figured things out, which I think was kind of the point of the season, wasn't it? Yeah. If you, if you, this is sort of, yeah, that's what you want out of a rebuilding season. Um, you're going to lose some games and have a sub 500 record, but if you see growth along the way, I think you have to be satisfied with that. It would be a lost season if they, if you didn't see this growth, if they kept losing games, um, if, if, there was, I mean, there's a difference between, between this team from October to now, from November to now. Like, you can feel it. You can see it. Um, if you didn't see that, I think you would look at this as season as a failure so far. Um, even if you had the same record, I mean, I don't think the record is really what you look at. You, I think the on-the-floor um, product and how it's improving and how it's getting better in areas that it was lacking, like we were speaking about earlier, the, the um, late-game execution, um, terrible to start the year. Now, not so bad. You know, so uh, when you see things like that, I think you have to be satisfied with the direction things are going this year, whether you make that play in game, which the Spurs are going to have a chance to fight for or, or not. Um, you have to be you have to be pleased with where it's going so far. We've got a lot of time left, so we'll see how, how we feel in March or April. But but right now, I think, um, you know, if, if you if you had real ex- realistic expectations coming into the season, I think they're probably being met right now. Yeah, I mean, there there are. They're on pace to win about what we thought they'd win. And and you got to think that, uh, you know, with the way, the progress they've shown, they might play at a better clip at the, on the second half of the season and, and maybe exceed win totals. I, I, I would have thought they'd win in the mid, low to mid-30s in terms of games. That's what, what they're on pace to win. Um, they might have a chance to do a little better than that. Um, and in, in terms of looking like a different team from mid-October to late December, um, I referenced this earlier, but it, it, it's not like it's a different crew of cast of characters. There's been some minor changes. We're seeing a little bit more from players. I mean, the, the past couple of games, the Jock Landale experience has started. Um, he's been the first big guy off the bench the last couple of games, right? But yeah. for the for the most part, um, the guys who were playing a couple of months ago are playing now. They're they're just playing better as a group, and uh, I think that's that's kind of what we thought and, would happen. And- Individually, too, um, you know, Keldon, Keldon stands out with a three-point shooting. I'm looking at his yeah. stats on basketballreference.com. The last six games, he's shooting 60.7% on, on about five attempts per game from three-point range, and that's, that's just really stood out. Our friend Sean, Sean Elliott, um, during one of the recent games, uh, was pointing that out, Tom, um, you know, how, how well Kelton has shot from three point range, especially lately, you know, that 60% rate. Um, but Sean was noting that there's opponents still want to see it and he's still getting open shots. And I just yeah. wonder, I wonder how long that's going to last because it's like, that's a good they don't point. believe it yet either. Um, he, he's not having to, to make Steph care, Steph Curry three pointers, you know, with, with guys in his face to shoot those 60, he's hitting the open ones. And I think the longer he does it, uh, the more opposing defenses are going to think, well, maybe we should get a hand that maybe we should get out there and contest it. 
And then that's when you make another adjustment and other stuff opens up. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's what I was going to say. The thing that happens then is now Keldon gets to take the shots that he really wants to take, which right. is to go, go right. by and get to the rim. So, um, yeah. I, I want to, I, w- I wish our vaunted uh, producer could, could go back in time and find the clip of someone on this podcast saying that Keldon Johnson should never shoot freeze again. And I, I wish the producer would go back because <laughs> I believe I believe what was posed during a podcast which uh, needed topics, it just needed content, was that the host of the podcast asked a question, should Keldon Johnson keep shooting? It, and that's what we do in this business over at expressnews.com, which is full of real journalists, not just yahoos like us in the podcast. They ask questions for a living. And that's what I was doing. I was asking questions a question to my fellow panelists, should Kelvin Johnson, who's one for 97 on the season, keep shooting them? And I believe to their credit, both Jeb McDonald and Tom Orsborn said that, yes, he should. And I was, you know, asked a question, got an answer. And it would turn out to be good for everybody because that podcast uh, served as kind of a precursor, a, uh, a, a predictor of what was going to happen the rest of the season. And I think that's just a good job of hosting by that particular host. And uh, I don't think we should go to revisionist history uh, about some, anyone who is doubting, you know, a, a person's uh, ability to shoot three pointers. But that's 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 good, Jeff. I'm glad you brought that up. You you the real MVP. Okay, there was a there was a moment there was a moment in the Utah game that I thought was telling. Um, it was in the second half. Dejounte's got a little like a pull up jumper going left that we've seen him take um, take and make like a million times. It's his signature shot and it's wide open in the middle of that shot. While he's at the height of his, the apex of his jump about to release it. Keldon Johnson is wide open in the corner next to him. Instead of taking that shot, we've seen DeJounte Murray take umpteen times because it's a signature signature shot. He dishes it over to wide, wide open Keldon Johnson who knocks over the corner three. And I thought that was just telling of maybe other teams aren't buying this Keldon Johnson run, but, but, but Keldon's teammates are, you know, his point guard is. Uh, and that was, that was a kind of a textbook uh, example of what, um, you know, the, the Spurs call good to great. Like that, that um, two point shot for Murray was a good shot, but a wide open shot in the corner by, I mean, statistically one of the top 10 three point shooters in the NBA right now is an even better shot. And DeJounte recognized it. Keldon knocked it down. I just thought that was a really interesting moment. Um, kind of in the evolution of both players, you know, DeJounte knowing where to get the ball and, and Keldon being that guy that deserves the ball in that, in that spot based on how he's been shooting. So I just wanted to point that out because I thought that was a, of everything on this road trip so far, that was the moment that stood out to me. That's very nice. Uh, do we got like no applause or anything for that? I think, that I think it's or? just on silence in the podcast because I'm, it's, it's such a rare salient trenchant point. Um, and, and not everyone understands, uh, uh, what to do next. This is, this is, this is, this is new in the podcast. Um, we're, we're just all kind of marveling at how telling that moment was. That's a good job, Jeff. My burning question is, uh, where did they find a dentist on the road for Doug McDermott? Or I don't did know they, when you get to the bottom of that, did they right? tie his tooth to the doorknob and, and yank it, uh, yank it out or what, what exactly happened there? When you get to the bottom of that, I wish, <laughs> I, I wish other players hadn't played so well last night. We'd have, I'd have had cause to sure um, uh, talk to Doug and not to go too behind the scenes, but this is sort of something we're missing coverage wise in the uh, COVID era. 
is that instead of having just this locker room open to you where, you know, I don't need to talk to Doug for for 15 minutes about the game. I just want to know, Hey, what happened? To sure. You? Yeah. And, and get that information and then go on to talk to DeJounte about his uh, amazing triple double and uh, you know, other players about the night. So, you know, that, that's something we're, we're and uh, there's no complaints. We understand um, what the deal is, but that's just one difference um, between what, what we get to do and the, uh, the uh, depths we get to go to uh, now, as opposed to, you know, three years ago. I, but I would well, love Foreman. To, I would love to Foreman talk to says them. those interviews are going, boy, and they ain't coming back. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, but we'll 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 learn to adapt. On that note of just odd uh, absences, it's it's really something. And this is probably I or, mean this or is abscesses, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Tom. Um, that's 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 really great. Again, stunned silence. That's such a great great uh, joke from Tom Moore's point. That one woke um, me up. That one woke me up. Like by the time this podcast hits the uh, presses. The podcast hit presses, probably not. We don't um, even have this, a could, this could sound ridiculous because things change so quickly, uh, especially this week in the NBA. But the fact that the Spurs have lost a player for a game to a uh, tooth infection, and yet everyone else has been available uh, so far uh, is kind of remarkable <laughs> that uh, they're one of the teams that is holding up through this. And again, that can change so overnight. I mean, they, they, they just played in LA last night as, mm-hmm. as we're recording this right now. And by the, you know, in a couple hours, they could have eight guys in COVID protocols, but so, you look around the league and, and I think there was a magic nets game the other night where there were 20 something people out combined um, between the two teams. Um, you know, games are getting postponed because of this uh, COVID outbreak and the, the Spurs are holding up so far. I don't think that anyone expects that to hold up forever. But right now, uh, right now they are. I, I got a theory. Um, I got a theory about that. Um, I don't. I, as you, as you, well, you might not be aware. I do not have a degree in epidemiology. I can't even pronounce it. Uh-huh. But I do uh-huh. have a theory, and this is just based on uh, like looking at the teams that are being just just ravaged by it, and the teams that are not. Uh-huh. You know, it feels like it's an East Coast thing, moving west. So, like the teams that that are based on the East Coast are getting hit really hard teams that have spent time on the East coast recently and come back are being hit really hard. The Spurs as, as this wave uh, COVID wave is, has really ramped up have been either at home or on the West coast. And I think that might be what has saved them so far. I don't, again, I don't expect that to hold up. It seems it, again, I don't have a degree in this stuff. I just read the news. It seems like it's, it's, it's almost like a weather front that is, that is sweeping from East to West. Um, and, it'll get here eventually and it'll get to Texas eventually. You know, it'll get to San Antonio eventually. I mean, even like the Kings, you say, Oh, the Kings are a West coast team. Well, they got smashed right after they got back from an East coast trip to Cleveland, Charlotte, somewhere else. Um, I mean, just fits right in with the pattern. I, I, I see a pattern. And so, uh, the Spurs, um, they'll be, yeah, they'll be in the yes. teeth, teeth of that uh, outbreak, you know, when yep. they, when they head, head it's east. Be, yeah. It's going to be the holidays and then they head east for like 10 days. And that's going to be a really troublesome. I think that's going to be a really troublesome period. I mean, it could be set up to be a really troublesome period for them when they have the holidays with family and people coming in and larger gatherings. And then they're out into the, like you said, the teeth of that, that, that COVID 
outbreak eastward after that. Well, again, we're not we're not uh, scientists, but I mean, the, I, I think I read something just before taping this podcast this morning about how Arizona is now there, there, there's as many cases of the new variant there as there is. There you go. Uh, on the east, I mean, it's already moving, so yeah, yeah, it yeah. might not matter. By the time the Spurs go east, it could be just as bad. You know where where we are, where uh, on the, on the west coast, what have you. I, th- I think planning or expecting the Spurs to stay kind of COVID free for the next several weeks is pretty. You wonder if the NBA might follow the uh, NHL's lead. You know, the National Hockey League is hitting the pause button on the season. Every, every all the reporting says no. All the reporting yeah. says no yeah. that they don't want to do that. That's why you're they're allowing all these teams to basically sign as many uh, 10-day contracts as they can. And in fact, um, requiring it, you know, if, if X number of players are out with COVID, teams are required to replace them with X number of, uh, of 10-day contracts. They're going to do everything they can not to hit the pause button. And there's no judgment here on whether that's right or wrong. They just don't want to, they're going to be playing those games on Christmas day. They're going to, keep games going if at all possible. You know, they did postpone three of them this week uh, because they had no choice, but I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure these games go on. I do think it's interesting that all the new, like um, ramped up testing requirements and stuff uh, for, for the NBA starts December 26th. Yeah. I think that's yeah. funny. Like if, Le- if LeBron, if LeBron gets the sniffles on Christmas day, it's just allergies. Go play. Right. Right. It's kind of the message there. There's a lot of money on Christmas Day. I mean, that's that's a huge part of uh, how these salaries are paid for and what have you. So um, they're they're going to try to preserve that at all costs, even though I mean, we're, we're talking about teams signing C.J. Miles and Lance Stevenson. And I mean, uh, maybe George Gervin can be brought out of retirement at some point to be playing in some of these games. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, what what was what was your ridiculous joke? Somebody had Pop a, might, a joke about Pop might actually get to know Devonte Kaycock now. There you go, there you go. So um, you know that's probably something that uh, will impact the local cagers at some point. Whether it is bringing up Austin Spurs, whether it is signing just random guys to fill out the roster, uh, you know that they're probably not going to be able to avoid that forever. Um, the rest of this week, we are in a period now of two days off in Los Angeles for Jeff McDonald and the, and the Spurs. There's a game against the Lakers on Thursday. Yeah. On Thursday. It's an interesting turn of events going into the Lakers game on Thursday because it's, um, Spurs in this mode of like, we can't take these guys lightly. You know, like they, they, we, we had that great win at Utah and then we, we crapped the bed against the terrible uh, Sacramento Kings, and now we have this win against the Lakers. We, I mean, it's Clippers. We can't take these these uh, these crappy Lakers lightly. We have to we have to get it together and, and have appropriate fear because the Lakers are another team that has just been wrecked. I mean, one of those one of those guys you mentioned just signed off the scrap heap, Isaiah Thomas, uh, not the Hall of Famer, the the the, the little the little fella. Um, he is starting for them. Like they signed him to a 10 game and he's starting for the Lakers. Uh, in addition to the COVID stuff, Anthony Davis is out. Um, so it's really just LeBron and company. The Spurs have not faced uh, LeBron this year. They've lost two games to the Lakers without LeBron, but now it's just LeBron basically. Um, so, and, and 
again, it's one of the Spurs can't just, just like against Sacramento, just like against Charlotte, they can't just show up and roll out of bed and think they're going to you know, get full of themselves and think they're going to win that game. Um, they're going to have to show up and play. And maybe that's another like learning lesson we can talk about for this, for this team this year. Can they get to the point where when they have these big wins, they let them go and get to the next game and take care of that one too. Um, that, 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 that hasn't happened super often this year. So that's something I'll be kind of keeping, um, keeping an eye out later this week when the Spurs play a Lakers team that is just terrible. Some uh, housekeeping items from uh, reporting that Jeff has done on this road trip. Uh, just we could probably quick hit them, um, but things that people might be interested in. I believe there were um, Jeff or uh, Greg Popovich uh, comments on uh, Thad Young, on uh, Zach Collins, and then um, get into the uh, the kind of the changing of the guard. Not, not changing of the guard, changing of the uh, big man in terms of the rotation there where, where there's more Jock Landale. If you want to hit on any of those, any or all of those topics real quick here towards the end of this podcast. Changing of the backup center, is that what you mean? Yeah. All right, let's start with Thad Young. I mean, is he just not going to play again? He's He's got four or five DMPs in a row. Like, I think the only way he's getting on the floor these days is if, knock on, you know, God forbid there's a COVID outbreak or something. So he's not, he's... I mean, it's been clear what they're doing with him all year. Um, they're trying to trade him. At some point, what's the point? Of, we're getting closer to February. Like, what's the point of, of, of setting a guy in a rotation that's 100% not going to be here in a month and a half? So, you know, he's kind of – I wouldn't look for a lot of – if he's on your fantasy team, I wouldn't start him right now. Um, Zach Collins is on this – But what did uh, – didn't, didn't, uh, didn't Pop kind of address that? Yeah. His un- unhappiness? I mean, yeah, Thad had an appearance on Chris Haynes' uh, podcast, which is much, much, much more popular than this one. And um, Barely. And he, uh, yeah, Thad, and I, I guess Spurs Nation went kind of berserk about these Thad Young con- comments, but they weren't really all that different than what he had been telling us since, what, the Milwaukee game. Yeah. Where, you know, he, you know, he wants to play. It's his, it's his, it's In Milwaukee, play. he told us... And Milwaukee tells I'm in an unfortunate situation. I, su- I, was, I suppose, <laughs> and, and I suppose been, he was being a little cryptic at first, and now he's being less cryptic. Yeah. But he's been less cryptic with us, too. Wants to play. Of course yeah. he wants to play. Everyone wants yeah. to play. He's a 15-year veteran. On And if I'm Thad Young, I'm looking at the people in front of me and going, I'm better than these people at NBA basketball, and I should be playing. Right. So all the things, reasons we described about why Thad Young is not playing are true. But Pop said, like, I, if I were that, basically, if I were that young, I would want to play too. I would, I understand his discontent, and you know, that's that's kind of that. You want to know about Zach Collins? Can you want me to move on? Sure. Zach well, Collins. one thing I'd say about what, go ahead. I, I'd say one thing to add on the on the that young um, topic. Um, it's obvious the Spurs are going to trade him, trying to trade him, what have you. Um, if he were if he was, or if he were a, uh, a, an unproven player, a player who is battling back from an injury, I would say you need to get him out there on the court and show that he can still play, show that he can play, show teams what they might want in him. I don't think that's really much of an issue with a, a guy like him because he's got a 14-year track record of showing teams exactly who he is. He's a pro. As we mentioned before, Thad Young is a pro. Um, Teams know exactly what they're getting in Thad Young. In every moment he's spent on the floor this year, he's shown that he's a pro. 
he's shown exactly what teams are going to get from him. Like he's been impressive. Right. So he's- I don't, I don't think there's a need to showcase him. Like I think there's more of a need to make sure he doesn't blow a knee out in right. garbage time against somebody. And I, I, I just think that he's, Obviously, he's unhappy, but he's a pro. He's been showing up. You watch him on the sidelines. He's clapping. He's supporting teammates. He's being a leader. All that type of stuff. They 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 put him they they put him out there enough this year that he has shown he's still got it, and shown yeah. that he's and shown that he's healthy. And and right. that's probably enough. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't think his his value gets improved or um, or damaged in any way by by throwing him out there. I think you just like you said why put him in the in the rotation and get everyone used to playing with him for another week or two when he's going to leave before the trade deadline and then you got to adjust again he's not part of the future so i think that's the that's the idea there and this can shift into uh whatever you have to tell us about zach collins and jock landale because clearly the spurs at the position that that young uh plays there's going to be a uh, there's going to be more transition throughout the rest of the season if you can take it from there. Well, the, the yeah the Collins update is not much of an update except for that he's on the trip, which he hadn't really been traveling with them all that much this year. Um, it's still not a lot of clarity on when he's going to get back on the floor after the long rehab from the foot surgery. Um, Pop kind of guests January February like practice. Um, so where, where that puts him in terms of getting in on against games remains to be seen. But I did ask Pop kind of point blank, you expect him, the expectation is he will play in NBA games this year. And Pop was pretty emphatic that, yeah, that's what So, but I think he's more of a springtime addition um, just to kind of see what he's got. And then, yeah, Jock, is it Jock or Jack? I, I get confused. Yeah. They, they, or is it Josh? Or is it Josh? Yeah. Jock Landale, J-O-C-K Landale, uh, is, um, yeah, the last, I think it's three or four games in a row, been the first big off the bench. I think Pop has finally uh, got opened a Twitter account and has uh, just taken suggestions. And uh, he's, he's, play, he's playing Landale, and there's been, you know, I'm, I'm for that. I'm for that. I'm for everything. I'm for anything. I'm, I'm basically agnostic when it comes to some of these rotation questions. But I'm for that. He's looked good at times. Like, he's, she's shown you. Um, you know, a three ball, which is something none of the other first bigs can really do. They're healthy right now. He's will battle on the boards. Um, you know, it's kind of like, as most Australians are, he's a tough guy. Um, I think still you see moments where he's, uh, I don't want to go for say full blown lost, but you know, you look around, there's a guy back cutting him for a layup because he's not really ingrained. All those things Pop talked about, about how he wasn't around for training camp and missed a whole lot of the beginning of the season. Like, you can see where some of that is still an issue. Um, but, you know, if, if, he's, if, if he's the first big off the bench, um, that's cool with me. Like, it started in Utah because Pop said they just wanted to get Gobert away from the basket. Putting a guy that can shoot threes is a, is a manner to do that. And then uh, Pop kind of laughed at put Landale in to spread the floor and he immediately shot an air ball. Um, but, um, yeah, maybe this is the rotation going forward. You can never tell with Pop if it's just a week-long experimentation. If there was a while there, I was thinking Thad Young is just going to be the number two guy for a while because he was, and they went back to Eubanks, and now it's now it's uh, Jock, Josh. So 
Um, you never can tell how long these things are going to stick, but they are definitely giving Landale a long, a long look at this point in the season, which we knew was going to come. Like everyone gets all antsy for these things, um, but it happens every year. These guys you want to play, um, Pop gives them a look at some point to either show they deserve more time or, you know, you know, flop a little bit and show why they need to go back to the G League or back to the bench or back to practice. There's also the whole chicken and egg thing that gets debated on here every year about whoever is not playing, whichever newcomer isn't getting enough action early on. And it is um, when, when they finally start playing and play kind of well, like Jock Landhill is, does this mean, oh, Pop should have played him from the very beginning whenever he was just coming back from the concussion and the, and the illness and all that type of stuff? Or was it uh, a sign that they handled it the right way, that taking, bringing him along slowly and not playing him until he was totally ready, did, did that work? And I think there's probably validity to both sides. And uh, again, in a, in a rebuilding year like the Spurs are in this year, um, I think you kind of just like that agnosticism is probably the right way. Like it, 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 these debates about the guy who is, who is getting eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 man minutes probably isn't going to make or break your rebuilding project, but it's nice to see him having his moments and playing well. And I, again, I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him has as the number one uh, big man off the bench the rest of the way. Anything else, Tom? I don't know. Do you want to get, you want to get positive real fast? Sure. <laughs> I, I, I've got nothing. I was, <laughs> I was, I meant, I meant for you to get positive so we can get out of here. <laughs> oh, I wanted to mention on the, on Tom uh, Orsborne, who longtime listeners of the, uh, of the podcast will know that we were still taping in the main secure location. Um, it feels like decades ago uh, when Tom was dubbed Ringo Starr for being the, uh, the, the guy who, who kept us in rhythm, the guy, the, kind of the, un, the unsung hero of the, of the podcast. That, that was a, an age-old nickname. And uh, just, just want to say, like, uh, my, my respect for the real Ringo is kind of soaring these days. I watched the, uh, the Beatles thing on the streaming something or other doodad uh that was pretty fascinating the whole thing like it turns out the beatles are pretty good musicians i don't know if you guys knew this <laughs> they could write songs too yeah but ringo I just seemed like the, the more i watch the real ringo and that type of footage the more i think that uh uh like the the host is saying uh on, on the chat that it's called get back and like yes like why we, we don't need to be accurate here. Can I just call it the, the Beatles thingy? And, uh, <laughs> and he's saying it's on Disney plus. Yes, it's on Disney plus it's called get back. Uh, you know, we, we don't need to be bogged down in facts and whatnot, but my point is the more that I watch the real Ringo, the more I think that the nickname of Tom Orsborn is apropos because he's just kind of gets along. Like there's yeah. no drama with Tom Orsborn. There's no drama with the real Ringo star. He's well, just kind of, uh, he does his thing. He keeps every, everyone in rhythm. Um, underrated in terms of how uh, much of a virtuoso he really is. And uh, everybody should be more like Ringo and my, Tom Orsborn. My favorite Beatle is the uh, keyboard player. Billy Preston. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. It's weird you never heard uh, of him. I'm just saying you never heard of him. I'm just kidding. But uh Weird, like uh, he's not on the cover of any of the album. That that my favorite. Well, Beatles. well, he might have been if the Beatles had continued beyond that uh, 
1969. What? Uh, they broke up? Yeah, they did. Just spoiled like, it. I didn't watch the third episode uh, yet. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm sorry. But Billy Preston showed up every day. There was no guarantee that uh, that he was going to be compensated. You know, at one point they asked him, uh, you know, uh, sorry to make you keep showing up. Um, we haven't talked about how much you're going to get paid, what you're going to get credit with. And he said, man, it's just a good groove. <laughs> he, likes, he likes showing up. It's just a good groove. So be more like, uh, I think we all could stand to be more like Billy Preston, just looking for a good groove. Be more like Ringo Starr and Tom Warsborn. Just uh, continue to plug away, get along. Don't worry about the drama. And uh, through the holiday season, uh, keep that up. Take care of each other. Keep it real. We'll get back at you.